Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This hour of the Costa Report is brought to you by Dole Food Company, the world's leading producer and distributor of fresh fruits and vegetables. Welcome to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and thank you for joining me for another two hours of Straight Talk Radio. Our guest today is renowned political scientist, journalist, and co-author of a new book titled It's Even Worse Than It Looks, How the American Constitutional System Collided with the New Politics of Extremism. In just a minute, Mr. Norm Ornstein will be here to describe the damage bipartisan extremism is doing to our nation and what the next president must do to restore unity again. Before Mr. Ornstein joins us, let, let me mention that he was born in Grand Rapids, Minnesota and earned his undergraduate and graduate degrees in political science from the University of Minnesota. Between 1971 and 1984, Ornstein taught at the Catholic University of America and Johns Hopkins University. And in 1977, Ornstein agreed to co-host Congress, We the People on PBS. He has served on many government committees, from those which helped to create standards for digital television to those committed to campaign reform. In fact, Mr. Ornstein is credited with drafting key portions of the 2002 Bipartisan Campaign Reform Act, better known as the McCain-Feingold Act. Today, Ornstein uh, writes a weekly column for a roll call, and he is a regular contributor to the Washington Post and Times, Wall Street Journal, and New York Times. And when he isn't busy writing thought-provoking articles and books, he's analyzing election results on CBS, PBS, and other cable news programs. Ornstein is currently a resident scholar at the American Enterprise Institute, one of the nation's premier think tanks, and he is also a proud fellow of the American Academy of Arts and Sciences. After covering American politics for almost four decades, Ornstein's list of accomplishments is very difficult to do justice to. So, as I often do, <laughs> I will apologize for the brevity of time that we have on the radio program today. It's my great pleasure to welcome to the Costa Report a fellow centrist who does not mind being inconvenienced by the truth, Mr. Norm Ornstein. Welcome to the program, Mr. Ornstein. Oh, thanks, Rebecca. It's really a pleasure to be with you. Uh, congratulations on the success of your new book. It's uh, blown away uh, my co-author Tom Ann and uh, and me. Um, we uh, thought this book would do well, but as you know, authors always think this one will really make it, and uh, it doesn't always happen. Uh, but uh, this one, thanks in part to a, a long piece we did in the Washington Post uh, Sunday Outlook section the day before the book was published, uh, really did sort of capture a lot of attention, and it's uh, we've had seven weeks on the New York Times bestseller list, which is uh, seven more than I've had before. Well, I'm an author, and I, but I wasn't delusional 
<laughs> I, I didn't have any such thoughts. Uh, so, so for listeners who haven't had a chance to pick up a copy of It's Even Worse Than It Looks, this book exposes just how gridlocked we've become in Washington, D.C. So let's get the ball rolling today by talking about why you feel that partisan shenanigans today are different than they were, say, four years ago under Bush. Sure. And let me go back a little bit, because uh, we did a book uh, six years ago, uh, updated four years ago, called The Broken Branch, How mm-hmm. Congress is Failing America and How to Get It Back on Track. And, you know, we have both been in Washington for more than 40 years, and uh, 43 to be exact, uh, when we first came here. And we've never seen it this dysfunctional. When we wrote the book six years ago, it was a lament about the Congress that we loved having gone off track. Uh losing its way by not doing the kind of oversight that it should do. Uh, In the first part of the Bush years, a Republican Congress viewing itself more as an arm of the White House, uh, loyal lieutenants in the field army of the president, than an independent branch. But also, uh, and this cut across both parties, an unwillingness to follow what we call the regular order, uh, the kinds of rules and procedures that allow for open debate and amendments and transparency and the like. Uh, And we cast blame pretty widely, Uh, but it's deteriorated dramatically since. And we looked out there as we began to write this book last year uh, at a pretty pathetic landscape, one where the problems facing the country, uh, short-term and long-term, were severe, but our politics had gotten lost in the process, almost a war of the roses, some of it driven by long-term issues that have uh, taken the parties away from being the big tents with substantial centers that they were when we first got here and for a long time thereafter, to uh, having a gulf between them with a collapsing center and being like parliamentary parties. But our system and our culture don't tolerate that. So, So what's been fueling this deterioration? Because it's been happening for a while. It has, and some of it is the rise of the permanent campaign. Uh, years ago, you had a season of campaigning, which is a zero-sum game after all. There are winners and losers, and that's that. Uh, but then you'd have a season of governing, which was an additive process, and the focus was on problem-solving, and you try and build broad coalitions. Now it's all campaigning all the time. Some of that goes back to 1994, when Newt Gingrich very successfully uh, led his party out of uh, 40 years of wandering in the desert of the minority to the majority. And since then, every election... The majority's been up for grabs, and the stakes are high. So if you do something with somebody on the other party, in the other party, it's like sleeping with the enemy. You could reduce your chances of being in or staying in the majority. Consultants now rule and pollsters. Uh, Primaries have become far more important, so the extremes uh, which dominate mean more. And the media, uh, which have divided into uh, tribes as well, uh, with rare exceptions like your show, um, have contributed uh, to it uh, also. And then, you know, if you go back, it's the regional transformation of American politics. The areas like the Northeast and the West Coast that used to have a lot of moderate and liberal Republicans, that's all gone. The South, which was a home for moderate and conservative Democrats, that's all changed. 
so it's, but, but isn't it, is it true yeah isn't it true that uh, you know we we are definitely we've become the bickersons in in washington dc no question about that and we are suffering gridlock and the american people pay the price for that uh, and I agree with all yeah. of that, it, but the the part that um, I'm wondering about is: don't Americans always come together when there's just some threat? Isn't that what just really galvanizes us? Because when I look at the Bush administration, I could see that it could have gone the way the Obama administration faced um, this horrific partisanship um, throughout his first term. I, I could see how it could have gone that way, except for for 9/11. And at the moment 9/11 occurred. Uh, boy, you know, whatever differences we had, we set them aside. And isn't it true that when we're faced with danger, uh, we kind of get it together? Usually, yes. I worry about it now. And you do. what I worry about at this point is if we had another 9-11 attack now, remember right after that we had all 535 members of Congress gather on the steps of the Capitol to sing God Bless America and send a signal to the world that we were bloody but unbowed. If you had an attack today, I think you'd have uh, 200 members uh, who wouldn't come to the steps of the Capitol because they'd be too busy back in their uh, offices writing uh, impeachment resolutions. Um, we've gone beyond the ability, uh, the reflex of ability to come together. And I think uh, it's also, there's a partisan difference here. Uh, I wish it were otherwise, but... If you look at the beginning of the Clinton administration, uh, Republicans united in both parties, not a single vote at any time for a Clinton economic plan. It took him uh, eight months to get his Democrats together to get that done, um, and ultimately it was a huge driver for the economic prosperity that we had. Mm -hmm. uh, they came together to kill the health care plan, even though they'd had an alternative. Uh, the alternative, ironically, has now become pretty much the Affordable Care Act, but they dropped it when it looked like something might happen and he could gain a victory. But then you go to the Bush administration, and before 9-11, you had a president elected in the worst circumstances imaginable, under a cloud, no mandate, no momentum, didn't win the popular vote. Democrats could have stomped on him, stepped on his neck right at the beginning and destroyed his presidency by voting against everything, uh, and they didn't. They worked with him, Ted Kennedy, George Miller, and others, to do No Child Left Behind. It was an early victory for him that established him as a meaningful uh, president and established compassionate conservatism. And then they gave the votes that enabled him to get the tax cuts. Well, you're absolutely right about that. There was much more cooperation. And in the last 10 years, yeah. there's no question that we've seen it get uh, very bad in Washington. Now, we have to take a short commercial break. When we come back, we're going to find out where all the problem solvers have gone. Stay with us. You're listening to the Costa Report. Just about everyone knows that fruits and vegetables are good for our health, but not everyone knows how to build a healthier plate. Hi, I'm Amy Tobin, a cookbook author and culinary expert. For each meal, nutrition experts recommend filling half of your plate with fruits and veggies. Whether it's fresh berries with your breakfast cereal, a wrap filled with your favorite roasted vegetables for lunch, or a medley of crunchy veggies for a pre-dinner nibble, Dole provides the freshest and highest quality produce available. When you load up on all the nutritional good stuff, you give your meal an instant boost of color, flavor, and texture, plus vitamins and minerals and fiber, everything your body needs to succeed. For nutritional inspiration and to learn more about Dole's fresh, whole, and cut vegetables and a full line of berries, visit Dole.com. 
With Dole as your partner in health, the possibilities are endless. Visit Dole.com. Hi, I'm Rebecca Costa, host of the Costa Report. We have an important election coming this November, and I know that many folks are struggling right now. And if you're not struggling, well, then you're just flat out worried. I know that you're hoping that the next president, whoever they are, will have a plan for getting us out of an economic hole that keeps getting deeper. But this time around, the answers may not come from the top down. Something is happening to us, and it is happening to all people in all nations at the exact same time. And that is why I am asking you to take a moment to read The Watchman's Rattle. It's a book that will change the way you see our problems and also the upcoming election. So please pick up a copy of The Watchman's Rattle. Do it now. It's available at Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, and independent bookstores everywhere. You can also grab a copy at Rebecca Costa. But don't wait. Take a moment to get your copy and together let's get our lives and our country moving forward again. Since 1849, California has been the new frontier, and the passion for innovation and development of great new products and services continues. But one thing that has changed is how these products and services are introduced, developed, and marketed to the consumer. Whether you're marketing a brand, a band, a product, or a service, Link Media Partners is here to help. To find out how we can help you, call 831-295-1849 or find us online at linkmediapartners.com. Welcome to Automated Computer Services, America's most drawn-out tech support line. One moment, please. For our hours of op. Thank you for your application. Unfortunately, there are no openings at this time. Your username and password has been set up. Your payment of $23.69 has... Congratulations. Your mother is now scheduled to be in attendance at our next set. Hi. Welcome to Automated... Goodbye. Tired of unfriendly computer support, slow computer, viruses, spyware? No problem. Call the friendly computer experts at User-Friendly Computing. We take care of all your PC, Macintosh, and laptop needs. Mention KSCO and get a free $50 diagnostic. Visit us today at 505 River Street on the way to downtown Santa Cruz, across from Gateway Plaza. We give you a choice. Drop your computer by the shop, or we'll come to you. Call us today at 423-9653. User-Friendly Computing. Tune in to the Sentinel Radio Program Saturday morning at 8 a.m. right here on AM 1080 KSCO. Brought to you by First Church of Christ Scientist Monterey. Come into our Christian Science Community Reading Room and Bookstore and find comfort from the challenges you're facing. We have the resources that will connect you with your God-given substance. Find help now. Our address is 780 Abrego Street in Monterey. Reach out for this help today. Come in and visit or call 831-372-5076. 372-5076. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and our guest today is political scientist and journalist Mr. Norm Ornstein. And before the break, you were reminding us that the Democrats had an opportunity to quash many more of Bush's programs, but there are any number of examples where the two parties got together to continue to make progress. But more and more, we're looking at what Jesse Ventura describes as the Rebloodlicans and Democrips. According to him, the two parties are acting like gangs instead of political parties. So would you agree with that description? Not entirely. Uh, okay. uh, this is, uh, it may be gang warfare in some ways, but, uh, and I'm not going to tell you that Democrats are angels and that uh, everything they did with Bush was for noble reasons. 
Um, after all, when Bush, uh, in serious political trouble after his reelection, tried to do Social Security reform, uh, Democrats didn't help him out. They stomped on him. Um, so both parties are prone to this sort of thing. Well, I don't. Now I gotta, I gotta you know. say something about that social security reform. It all looked well and fine that we were going to uh, uh, allow people to make private, do some privatization, and allow people to take control of their retirement. But the fact is, is that we had two Nobel economists come back and show how it was going to add two or three trillion dollars to the deficit within the, a decade. I, I mean, I think there was a reason the Democrats shut that down, and that was a mathematical reason. It was flawed. Oh, I, I don't think they should have embraced what Bush wanted. But yeah. Bush, when he I was mean, it was mathematically that, flawed. That, that's deal, what I'm, yeah. yeah. They had no interest in cutting a deal at that point because it was an enormous political advantage. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, the parties are going to take political advantage. But sure. the fact is there is asymmetric polarization, and they, uh, you, you can't equate the two. Uh, whether for noble reasons or not, uh, the Democratic Party, partly because it holds the White House, is more of a problem-solving party right now, and it's partly because they don't mind having government play a role. And the Republican Party has become uh, a party of uh, often strategic uh, and often ideological uh, obstruction. But these days, if you say that you're a moderate or a centrist, and I am, uh, people attack you like you're wishy-washy, like a, there's a lack of character there or something. Uh, where did that come from? Yeah, the the idea that centrism is a dirty word, uh, I think, flows in part from uh, the modern press. And I think, you know, let's face it, uh, there are two parts of this. One is you've got uh, in this new world of uh, uh, extremism, technological advances and social media as well, the business models that work are the partisan ones. Uh, Fox News, with an audience at any time of two and a half million people, makes more net profits than all three network news divisions with audiences of 30 million people combined. Mm -hmm. And MSNBC uh, has adopted a similar model, not quite as successful, but more successful than NBC is right now for its parent. So, so extremism uh, is profitable. It's profitable. And at the same time, if you are floundering in the mainstream media, quote unquote, um, you don't like to be criticized for bias. But the best way to avoid it, they have found, is not to put unbiased centrists on but to pick somebody from over on the left to argue with somebody on the right so that the uh, left-wing and right-wing media critics don't go after them. But, but that's just gladiator media. On the left against a cynical spinner on the right. Right, right but that's just gladiator, uh, you know, news coverage, right? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's no different than the Coliseum. You're going to put in two enemies, only we're more civilized. We don't have uh, swords and tigers. Yeah. Uh, but we're going to put two people in an arena and let them duke it out. What, what happened to rising above to our highest genetic inheritance, our yeah. ability to be rational, to communicate, to forge solutions? to to uh, preempt danger. Well, that's uh, the lament that I have as well. And let's face it, I think it is uh, partly uh, the dollar. Um, news organizations are struggling to survive. Newspapers to get uh, eyeballs and uh, uh, television uh, networks to get viewers. Well, I'll tell you something. I just think this bad economy has become one big excuse for bad behavior.
Yeah, that, that's certainly a part of it. I think another part of it is, it really is there's an ingrained uh, element of journalism that hates to be criticized for bias. And if you uh, decide that the truth is not your main goal, but telling all sides of this, both sides of the story so you can avoid criticism is, which is what we find in places like the Washington Post too frequently, then this is what we get. And so, so what happened to these? News. What happened to these guys that could work both uh, sides of the aisle? Well, what, why did we drive them out of Washington? Because they used to be. Remember Bill Richardson? Yeah. I mean, I don't even know why Bill Richardson is not in Washington D.C. That was a guy that we sent into Korea, into Iran to extract hostages. He was successful. They loved him. Where is he? Yeah. <laughs> well, I, you know, I could pick out a lot of people in uh, both parties who are terrific problem solvers and pragmatic. Um, look, let's face it, a part of the problem is the public. Uh, if you step up and say, I'm a politician, just like the framers, and that means I want to work within the institutions, I want to abide by the rules, I want to solve problems, and that means we've got to look for answers uh, wherever they come and we've got to compromise at times. You're pilloried. If you stand up like a Herman Cain and say, I don't speak politician, and I've got the answers, it's all very simple, 999, all of a sudden you're a hero. And we keep leeching out the problem solvers. And, of course, you get into situations where the primaries dominate so much that you could take a guy like Mike Castle, a moderate Republican, the most admired person in Delaware. He runs for the Senate. And in a primary, in an election in which he would have won the general election going away, most likely. Mm -hmm. But in a primary, he's knocked off by Christine O'Donnell, who is anything but a problem solver. <laughs> yeah, that, that's right. So if we've got a systemic problem, and, and this is a tough thing to address, but if we've got a deeply systemic problem in Washington, D.C., does it really matter who you plug into a dysfunctional system? Oh, sure it does. Um, well, convince you get, me. <laughs> uh, you can get people who still, uh, especially at the top, who look to find pragmatic solutions, or you can get people who are going to be... Uh, can they get anything done? That's... Uh, I wish I had a more optimistic answer. I think it's still possible. And the fact is, we had a lot of stuff done that was not wildly ideological in the 111th Congress the first two years of the Obama administration. I alluded to it earlier, but uh, the Affordable Care Act is not some socialist plot. There's no public option. It's not a single-payer system. It's not government-provided health care. It's essentially the Republican alternative to Clinton care from 1994 that was written by people like Chuck Grassley and Orrin Hatch, who now disavow their own handiwork. Um, but but you do it. But I, going back to your book, they can't the Republicans can't support anything that will make Obama look successful. It's not in their interest. It's like no. shooting themselves in the foot. Well, what's going to be interesting is if Obama does win reelection. Uh, I do think that you've got, uh, you'll see a return to some of the problem-solving culture in the Senate. You know, I've talked to people like Lamar Alexander and Bob Corker of Tennessee. Mm -hmm. uh, you talk to these three Republicans and the gang of six who came up with a plan that included revenues to deal with the debt problem. Uh, Tom uh, uh, Coburn, who's uh, extraordinarily conservative. Yep. Mike Crapo, who's very, very conservative. Saxby Shambliss, who's a conservative. They want to solve problems. Susan Collins, uh, Lisa Murkowski, there are a number of them. 
And I think another four years of Obama, they're going to say we're not just going to vote no uh, for four more years. There'll be an attempt to find bipartisan solutions, whether Mitch McConnell wants I, to. I sure hope you're right. You know, we have to take another party. short break. And when we come Forget back, we'll it. talk about election reform and whether a strong third party is another solution. You're listening to the Costa Report. There's no question that selling a home can be a tricky business when the economy is uneven. But here's a little bit of good news. Not only are financing options opening up, America's love affair with the Monterey Peninsula still continues. Homes that are priced and marketed right are moving. Hi, I'm Judy Profeta, owner-broker of Alon Pinnell Realtors in Carmel, where we're happy to report that inventories are coming down and homes are selling. So if you're getting ready to sell or listing your home, call Alon Pinnell Realtors in Carmel at 831-622-1040 or stop by our offices on the corner of Ocean and Dolores or our main office on Unipero between 5th and 6th in downtown Carmel. Alon Pinnell Realtors, serious brokers for serious sellers. I lost 12 pounds. I lost 7 pounds. I lost 9 pounds. I went from size 14 to size 8, and it was so easy. These are real experiences of women over 40 who finally lost weight with Amberin. Once you're over 40, hormones and other body changes make losing weight practically impossible, especially if you're entering menopause. If you want to finally lose weight, including that stubborn belly fat, without additional exercise or difficult diets, there's no alternative to Amberin. Because Amberin is the only clinically proven solution for sustained weight loss in women over 40. Amberin reprograms your body to stop storing fat. It balances your hormones and improves metabolism. It's healthy, natural, and it works without additional exercise or tough diet plans. Call in the next 15 minutes to receive a complimentary risk-free trial with a 30-day supply free. Call 1-800-699-5144. That's 1-800-699-5144. 1-800-699-5144. There's lots of ways to sum up toughness. Tough as nails, tough cookie, tough love, and tough as leather. But what's tougher than talking tough? Actually being tough. Like the Kubota RTV 1140 CPX from CNN Tractors. One of the toughest, hardest working, most versatile utility vehicles on the planet. Equipped to convert easily from two-person to four-person seating. With a hydraulic dumping bed that makes it perfect for hauling and dumping chores. Plus, it has a 24.8 horsepower Kubota diesel engine a variable hydro transmission, and hydrostatic power steering. The RTV 1140 CPX is one tough, versatile machine. Test drive it now at CNN Tractors in Watsonville. Kubota, everything you value. See the full line at CNN Tractors in Watsonville or online at cnntractors.com. CNN Tractors, give us your tough jobs. Robert Frost said, good fences make good neighbors, but I say... Bamboo privacy hedges make really good neighbors. Hello, I'm Larry Gullman of Bamboo Giant on Freedom Boulevard in Aptos. Bamboo Giant features the best bamboo species for our local climate, which means we have the right bamboo for you. Listen to what customers have to say. 
name's Amy Brooks. I'm from San Jose. I had a new fence built, and it left a little space between me and my neighbor. Love my neighbor, but didn't we just didn't need to be in each other's business. And so I looked at bamboos online, thinking it would be very simple, and come to find out there's 8,000 varieties of bamboo, and the only ones I knew about were those little squiggly ones. So I went to Bamboo Giant and Aptos, and he had two varieties for me to pick from. And so I looked at those two and picked the one I like. The privacy problem has been solved. Visit Bamboo Giant and walk our 30 acres of naturally growing bamboo groves. You will be truly amazed at the diversity, and you will see just how easy it can be to use bamboo to bring privacy to your home. Bamboo Giant is located at 5601 Freedom Boulevard in Aptos and on the web at BambooGiant.com. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm here today with political scientist, commentator, and best-selling author, Mr. Norm Ornstein. And before the break, you mentioned that you've been talking with a number of conservatives who are committed to returning to a culture of problem-solving, which gives you a great deal of hope that if Obama wins the election, um, more might be accomplished during this uh, second term. Is that right? Exactly so. In the Senate, but uh, the point I wanted to add, which is uh, less edifying, is mm. I don't see it in the House. The House is going to end up more polarized, uh, if that's even possible, after this election. I don't think it's possible. <laughs> um, I think we've hit an all-time low, and there's only up. To, we can only go yeah. up from here. Oh, they can dig deeper, Rebecca. Really? Oh, <laughs> boy. I, well, that'll be the subject for your next book. Yeah. Going deeper. Now, now moving along, uh, one of the causes that I know that you are very passionate about is election uh, campaign reform, and you're credited with drafting uh, many of the important parts of what became the McCain-Feingold Act. But, but in this five to four ruling, the Supreme Court determined that restricting the contributions from large corporations or unions was a, a violation of the First Amendment. And, and to me, this was a startling setback for campaign finance reform. So where do we stand now? Not in a very good place. Um, it, it's uh, uh, unfortunate in a whole host of ways, and not the least being that uh, we had at least a, a tiny window uh, with a lawsuit that Chris Van Hollen, the Democrat uh, from the House uh, from uh, in the House from Maryland, had filed, and the district court had ruled that many of these outside groups had to disclose uh, their donors. But that's now been reversed as a result of Citizens United by a court of appeals. Uh, so we're so, so we have unlimited donations, and we have no necessity to disclose. And boy, and that that feels they, like a double whammy to me. Well, there's a triple whammy, of course, because mm -hmm. the Supreme Court, which went eight to one for disclosure, and that's being ignored by many other courts, also talked about how these independent groups had to be rigidly independent of uh, the uh, candidates and campaigns. Mm -hmm. And, of course, that's just farcical. And uh, another court ruling, uh, uh, an appeals court ruling uh, called Speech Now, pretty much blew a hole in that. So we have close to the worst of all possible worlds, and we can do some things at the margins to make it better. We've got to do that. But uh, the best uh, thing that we could do is to change the Supreme Court. Uh, this is uh, Anthony Kennedy's doing, and Kennedy, uh, I think, may go down as one of the worst justices in history as a result of this decision. Really? Have we boiled down to we've got to now change the third branch of office? Really? Well, you know, uh, the, the unfortunate, uh, ironic reality of this is that the reason we have a campaign finance system that has careened out of control is basically because Sandra Day O'Connor retired prematurely from the court. She did so because she thought she was going to have to spend years 
taking care of her husband, who uh, was descending into Alzheimer's. She resigned, and his descent proved to be precipitous, and he's ended up uh, in, in an institution. And she's still a vibrant, active, incredible person, but now not on the court. If she was I, still you on know, the court, I, I have a different theory. Different I think she just wanted to get away from them and have some fun, <laughs> hang out with, so, more, with people that are a lot more fun. She's uh, credited every day since. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll tell you that this, this seems to me to be a clear case where both parties – they claim to be in favor of an even playing field, but both clearly have incentives not to make it too level because it's going to open the door to other viable third-party candidates. So given what you've said about the standoff in Washington, isn't one solution to have a viable third party break that tie? A lot of people, uh, understandably, have sentiments in that direction. And, of course, we saw a major effort uh, to move that way with the uh, – uh, American uh, uh, Americans vote uh, effort, mm-hmm. Americans elect effort. Mm-hmm. Um, it failed spectacularly, and I've been a skeptic of it. Um, there's no uh, knight on a white horse who will ride in to save us here. A part of the reason being that we have uh, a political system structured in so many ways that would make it uh, difficult for a third-party candidate to win the presidency you have to win a majority of the uh, electoral votes, and if there's only a plurality, it goes to Congress, uh, and you're not going to have any of your own party members. Well, um, I, don't, I don't know if they have to win. I, I just think it has to be opened up. You know, I had Gary Johnson, the libertarian candidate yeah. for president on the program a, a few weeks ago, and he's on the ballot in 50 states. But he can't meet the criteria set by the National Election Committee to participate in these the upcoming presidential debates. And when I asked about the criteria, it turns out that not only are the criteria established by a committee that's comprised of Democrats and Republicans, but one of the requirements is that he has to prove the support of at least 15 percent of the electorate. But he can't even get on the polls. So there's no way to show that he's got 15 percent. So. I don't know. Am I wrong? Or does this look like we have something akin to some collusion or sort of an election antitrust going on? Well, we have a duopoly and it's a chicken and egg problem there. But, you know, if you had presidential debates, uh, the only chance that voters have in many cases to see the viable candidates head to head um, and you reduced it very substantially below that 15%, we'd end up probably with five, six, seven, or eight candidates. Well, what's so wrong? Well, what's wrong with that? It's uh, If you watch those presidential primary debates with all those candidates uh, on the Republican side, it was not edifying. It was divisive. And you don't get a chance to see the people who could actually... Uh, okay, win. so I have this idea that a friend of mine brought up, and they said uh, there's three debates. Uh, so instead of three debates, you maybe make it five debates. We ought to set it up like American Idol. You know, you get five candidates up there and every week one of them gets voted off by the American people until you're down to two. And then the last two are going to have it out in the last two or three debates. No, uh, I, I would certainly uh, be happy to have more debates with more candidates. Uh, I why not? Why not? Near, why not let everybody? Why not let the American people hear from everybody and then narrow down the field as time goes on? After all, you just explained that there's no more campaign season. You know, this isn't like we'd have yeah. to do it in three months. We could do it over a year's period of time. What would be also, so terrible about that? Um, I think uh, if we had uh, more of an openness here and you had other parties participating in the uh, in the selection process. 
we could find a better way to do it. I worry about a third-party candidate being on the ballot who becomes a spoiler. And, of course, we've seen that with uh, Ralph Nader and Pat Buchanan. And now it's going to be Gary Johnson. He's polling 10, you know, 7, 8, 9 percent, 10 percent in some of the important states. And he's getting set up as a spoiler. Gary Johnson could uh, be a problem for Barack Obama in his native state or home state, not native state, of New Mexico. Yep. Virgil Goode, who's on the ballot in Virginia, former uh, House member there who was a Democrat, became a Republican, and now uh, has become something else, could uh, be a significant problem for Mitt Romney uh, in Virginia. Um, but there's no like such thing as a spoiler. Voting. You know, I don't accept that uh, Ralph Nader was a spoiler. It was up to Gore to engender enthusiasm and support from those voters that believed in Ralph Nader more than they believed in him. I don't. I, I think this idea that the third party candidate is always the spoiler is, is it's just not right. Well, if you had preference voting, um, where the people who were voting for Ralph Nader could then have given a second choice if he didn't win, then you don't have the possibility of a spoiler. So and why why don't we have preference voting? Why? What's wrong uh, yeah. with that? Why can't we have that? There's nothing wrong with that, and we should have it. And, but we've got uh, two parties that it's not in their... It's a fair vote. Uh, that's worked very hard uh, to bring that about. So what what's the latest now on election campaign reform? Are we are we looking at changing a Supreme Court justice and that's about it? Um, we have a new uh, bill that's being pushed by uh, a number of members of Congress that uh, builds on some of the work that I've done with uh, colleagues uh, at the Campaign Finance Institute to uh, tilt the system so that there's more of a role for small donors by having something akin to what they actually have in New York City, which is a very generous multiple matching fund for candidates who raise a sizable amount from small donors. I also think that we may finally get a somnambulant uh, internal revenue service, which has uh, turned uh, a blind eye to the misuse of uh, the nonprofit status and tax code to finally uh, strike back at sham uh, social welfare organizations like Carl Rove's American Crossroads GPS, which exist only to influence campaigns and elections. Now, we have to donors. take an, uh, our last break, and when we come back, we'll be talking about dangerous debt and foreign policy. You're listening to the Costa Report. Hi, I'm here today with Scott Caraccioli, owner of Caraccioli Cellars. What's the first thing folks say when they walk into your tasting room in downtown Carmel? It's not really a typical tasting room that people expect, especially in Carmel. It's a little bit updated, has a little bit more of a modern feel, but still definitely has that cellar quality and old world touch that Carmel exudes. And it really shows. It's a very sort of romantic and sexy environment. You know, we had a great interior designer and architect, Cy Teller, that brought everything together and delivered something a little bit different than the prototypical tasting room you walk into. And one more time now, where is the tasting room located and what are your hours? We're located right in the heart of Carmel-by-the-Sea, right on Dolores between Ocean and 7th. We're open daily from 2 p.m. to 8 p.m. And on Fridays and Saturdays, we actually open up at 11 and stay open till 10 p.m. Hi, I'm Rebecca Costa, host of the Costa Report. We have an important election coming this November, and I know that many folks are struggling right now. And if you're not struggling, well, then you're just flat out worried. 
I know that you're hoping that the next president, whoever they are, will have a plan for getting us out of an economic hole that keeps getting deeper. But this time around, the answers may not come from the top down. Something is happening to us, and it is happening to all people in all nations at the exact same time. And that is why I am asking you to take a moment to read The Watchman's Rattle. It's a book that will change the way you see our problems and also the upcoming election. So please pick up a copy of The Watchman's Rattle. Do it now. It's available at Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, and independent bookstores everywhere. You can also grab a copy at Rebecca Costa. But don't wait. Take a moment to get your copy, and together, let's get our lives and our country moving forward again. Hi, folks. Warren Knox here of Knox Roofing. Going through my tackle box the other day brought to mind all the choices we have. Lures like a Castmaster, a Wobble Right, Super Dupers, Ford Fenders, a Crocodile, Panther Martin, or a Blue Fox. A Hoochie might work. Hard to know which one all work differently. When it comes to hiring a roofing contractor, it's a lot like a tackle box. Lots of choices between contractors. Some look flashy, talk, dress fancy, have a lot of promises, and can be very convincing and pretty. But when it comes to your home, especially your roof, there's only one choice to get the job done right, and that's Knox Roofing. So folks, don't get lured in by a flashy contractor. Knox Roofing tells it straight. We have a track record unsurpassed in the community. If poor workmanship and substandard materials is what you're looking for, Knox Roofing is not for you. So give Knox Roofing a call today. We'll be a good catch for you at 461-0634. Thanks, folks. I keep getting emails from frustrated Dr. Pill Wattenberg fans who are getting quite restless and starting to wonder if he is ever coming back to his KSCO Presents slots on your favorite radio station. Well, fact is, Dr. Bill is engaged in some top-level and top-priority work that occupies most of his time during daylight hours. We do believe he will return to KSCO daytimes one of these days. Meanwhile, you can still catch him on his Live Line to America national show, Sundays from 8 to 11 p.m. here on KSCO. Plus, there is a chance we'll be able to get Dr. Bill on the next Saturday special. Confirmed for that show, however, is Jeffrey Smith, a world-class expert on the health risks of genetically modified foods. The food industry is spending hundreds of millions of dollars to get you to defeat Prop 37, the GMO labeling law on the California ballot. So join us on the next KSCO special this Saturday, 10 a.m. to 12 noon, right here on What in the World is Going to Happen Next Radio, AM 1080 KSCO. Welcome back to the Costa Report. Our guest today is political scientist, commentator, and author Norm Ornstein. And before the last break, we were talking about election campaign reform and how it's been derailed by recent Supreme Court uh, decisions. And that the greatest hope for reform may come from the most unlikely institution of all the IRS. Is that right? I think that's right. (laughs) Uh, The only hope we have in the short run is disclosure. And uh, it works. And the Supreme Court actually endorsed it, even when it did the misguided Citizens United decision. The best way to avoid disclosure now is to misuse uh, the tax code. And if the IRS just did, followed its own regulations and stopped counting organizations that are sham social welfare organizations and started to count them as real political organizations, it would help a lot. You know, it's how we got Al Capone. (laughs) Uh, it's the al capone i I want this to be called the al capone campaign reform act (laughs) 
I'm happy with that. <laughs> because just when you count the IRS out, you know, they, they come up with some uh, convoluted uh, methodology for getting the bad guys in jail. Uh, yep. You, you got to love that. Uh, so I, I think I know how you feel about... Well, there's a difference here, actually, because okay. you know, while they did get Al Capone on uh, tax evasion, yeah. um, it's not at all clear that the tax evasion charge held an entirely held water. In this case, it is clear that these organizations are misusing the tax code and don't belong where they are. Uh, so um, this is not a uh, backdoor way of getting them. It's, it's uh, hitting them frontally for uh, uh, real and genuine abuses. Well, what I always worry about is these guys have buildings and buildings of tax lawyers. And, yeah. you know, it's so easy for them to just outgun the IRS. I, I, I used to work for General Electric, and I tried to explain to people that the reason GE never paid any taxes was because they had 18 skyscrapers of tax lawyers that were finding every legal way not to pay taxes. So, you know, you just get outmanned at some point. Uh, well, and look, it's entirely possible that uh, somebody like Sheldon Adelson, uh, uh, who is, after all, perfectly happy to disclose, would just say, hey, you don't want to disclose, and I'm going to have to uh, pay gift tax on this money. What do I care? I'll put in another uh, $100 million, uh, to accomplish my goals. But the more you have disclosure of who's putting these ads forward, the greater the opportunity you have to hold them accountable for the bile that they put out there. And the more you have, uh, as I'm sure, you know, you may not have seen it much because California is not uh, very much in the swing category. Mm -hmm. But these disgusting ads that end with a disclaimer that's not, I'm Mitt Romney and I approve this message, or I'm Barack Obama and I approve this message, or I'm, uh, pick your uh, candidate. But this, uh, this ad sponsored by Americans for a Better America, not supporting any campaign or candidate, you don't know who they are or what they stand for, and they can uh, go completely... Uh, oh, by the, the way, you don't even know it's a they. Sure. It, it can be a single individual funding. And a lot of it, what we do know a little bit, is that some of it is money that's been laundered through other organizations, including foundations, giving grants through two or three different places. This takes us back to the Nixon era and the money laundered through Mexico. Deja vu all over again. Wow, you're absolutely right. And now with uh, everything being done electronically, it's just really hard to track uh, all these things. You know, the world has become so complex that sometimes I sit back and I wonder if it's just complexity that we're up against. That, it, that everything is so intertwined yeah. and, and uh, convoluted that you start down one direction, like Grover Norquist's tax pledge, you know, sounded like a good idea. I mean, God knows that we're, we're in trouble relative to the debt, and we've got to get our spending under control. But, you know, I had him on the program, and I said, you know, we, he, there's all these unintended consequences that happen when you do something like a tax pledge. Sounded like a reasonable idea, but the reality is, is that the U.S. government government is the largest consumer in the economy. And suddenly, you know, they buy more yeah. automobiles, more copier paper, more computers than any other individual. And I said, so suddenly when you tell them you can't buy anything anymore, what do you think that's going to do to jobs in the economy? Uh, listen, uh, I and he didn't have an answer. Well, I, 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 but I said, no you, you, you can't yeah. just tell them to stop buying. 
Yeah, the, you know, the, the slightly positive side of this is uh, Ron Brownstein, who writes for National Journal, uh, has just done a very interesting piece digging into their polls and trying to look at why Obama's doing uh, better than many expect, given the state of the economy. Yeah. And it actually is that a lot of voters understand that the problem is a complex one, that it's a deeper one that transcends the parties and their own policies, that some of it has to do with the global economy and changes uh, that are uh, uh, beyond our direct control, that it's going to take a lot of time to dig out from it, and they're willing to give uh, the incumbent uh, more slack than you might expect otherwise. So there's a little bit of heartening news out there, but the bottom line reality is just what you said. Somebody comes up with a simple solution, no taxes. You get people to sign a pledge because it's the ideologically driven primary voters who are going to determine your fate. Well, it sounds good. It sounds good on the surface. Compromise or reach an answer. These these simple solutions they sound very attractive to us, and they and but they're they're very misleading. The subprime mortgage was another example. Let's give everybody a house, right? Let's remove the credit qualifications. Every American should be able to own their own home. And then look what happens. We've got these weird derivative packages that no economist can explain, and 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 we bring the whole world down with us. It's the same kind of thing. We keep doing this over and over again. We we make our, solu- our our problems seem like they're real simple, and all we got to do is sign a tax pledge, and everything will be fine. And uh, that's why we end up with people who are not politicians, uh, but say they've got simple solutions like nine 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 that don't make any sense. But many just like that uh, end up getting elected, coming to Congress, and resist fiercely the idea that simple solutions simply don't work. So talk about complex, uh, chaotic problems that look more like the kinds of problems that physicists solve. The Middle East, I can't let you go without asking you to weigh in on that. Uh, our foreign policy has just been a disaster. And and not just this administration. I mean, this has been leading up for a long time. Uh, what, do, what do they need to do? What does the president need to do at this point? I, I'm, I'm in favor yeah. of closing all the embassies in the Middle yeah. East right now. Well, there is no easy path out of this. And, you know, frankly... Uh, anybody who thought that we could dictate the terms of the departure of Hosni Mubarak uh, <laughs> or any of these other dictators, uh, that we could have kept them in power and avoided a lot of these headaches, uh, is just wrong. Uh, these were forces beyond our control, but it was inevitable when it happened that there would be a long period of transition, that it could go either way, but also you'd end up with weak states that couldn't control things. And now uh, we've got a major problem on our hands. What we have to do, I think, is to navigate our way through this, finding allies. What we did in Libya, it seemed to me, is a terrific model. Um, It doesn't mean that you avoid a weak state, but when the murders occurred in Libya, the Libyan government and the people of Libya rallied behind the United States. This was something done by a group of terrorists, basically. And uh, because we did not intervene too early and made it look like we were attacking Muslims, but because we did enough in the end to push a group throwing out a hated dictator, uh, and we did it in conjunction with others, including the Arab League, we've got something to build on there. It'll take years, and there'll be plenty of, uh, of uh, setbacks along the way. Now we've got to find a way to do a similar sort of thing in Syria without losing control. Um, but, you know, these are not problems to 
talk about complex and you're right there's no simple solutions we've got thousands of years uh many thousands of years of problems in the middle east and nobody from the certainly before the crusades and through them and forward uh, has been able to find a way to uh, to deal with them effectively. That's that's well said. Here, here. Well, that is our time for today. But before we say goodbye, I do want to thank you uh, f- from the bottom of my heart for shining a light on the facts week after week. And I want everyone to go out and get it's even worse than it looks. Thank you, Mr. Orenstein. Oh, thank you. And it's been a pleasure being on the show with you, Rebecca. If your station is leaving us after the first hour, my guest next week is popular columnist for the Miami Herald and novelist Mr. Leonard Pitts. He'll be with us to talk about how race and culture have shaped American politics for over 236 years and continue to play a role in how we see ourselves. You know, as we head into home stretch of the presidential election, there has never been a more important time to take a look at what makes us uniquely American. That's Leonard Pitts next week, right here on your favorite news program. (laughs) Boy, I'm getting all tongue-tied. I hate saying goodbye. Did I ever mention that? I'm no good at saying goodbyes. And I have to tell you that uh, Norm Ornstein's one of my favorite writers. I hope you'll catch his column on Roll Call and you'll pick up his book, It's Even Worse Than It Looks. Until then, I'm Rebecca Costa and you're listening to The Costa Report. Hello, my name is Tom Burkhart, founder and CEO of Savant Investment Group. We recently opened an office on the Monterey Peninsula headed by local 22-year resident Peter Truman. Our firm began working with clients in the Bay Area 20 years ago. We understand the anxiety of the typical investor, particularly in these volatile times. We're SEC registered, we don't sell products, and we don't receive commissions. We are fee-only advisors. We have several strategies that focus on cash flow to meet your retirement income needs while reducing the risk of the overall portfolio. We manage accounts for $1 million and above. You can reach us at 1-800-672-8268, 1-800-672-8268, and visit our website at www.savantig.com. Again, www.savantig.com. Thank you. Sutter Maternity and Surgery Center, part of the Sutter Health Network, now offers robotic surgery using the latest Da Vinci surgery system. Robotic surgery is a minimally invasive procedure that results in patients experiencing a wide range of benefits, including a quicker return to normal daily activities. If your doctor has recommended surgery as a treatment for prostate cancer, robotic surgery may be an option for you. For more information about our robotic surgery program, visit SutterSantaCruz.org. Hey kids, what time is it? That's right, it's happy hour. Hi, I'm Charlie Friedman inviting you to our afternoon get-togethers here on KSCO. Join me weekdays at 4 here on your favorite radio station for three hours of news, traffic, weather, news talk, and a few great 78s from my vast collection. So, listen to happy hour on KSCO. Learn why they call me the genial genius of Watsonville. Happy hour, four to seven weekdays on KSCO. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. 
The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.